On the evening of March 7, 2014, Delisa Kelly, a 24-year-old caring mother, left her grandmother's house in Dallas, Texas. At approximately 6.45 p.m., Delisa accidentally called her sister. When her sister answered the phone, she heard Delisa screaming and yelling, quote, Stop! Get off of me! And a man saying, Shut up! Stop screaming! You want to be hard-headed? Delisa's grandmother called 911 to ask for help, but the police didn't respond to the call. Seven days later, Delisa's lifeless body was discovered in an abandoned house. She had become the victim of a brutal murder, which was carried out days after she went missing. It's been more than nine years since Delisa was murdered, and investigators are still searching for her killer. Hey everyone, welcome back to Detective Perspective. My name is Derek Lavasser. I'm a licensed private investigator and former police detective. Each week I'll be covering unsolved cases in story format. I'll then give you my perspective on the investigation and provide contact information for the individuals or organizations connected to the case so that if you have any tips, you can contact them directly and maybe together we can help solve a case. So a little bit about this investigation, a little bit about this story um, that drew me to it was I'm trying to change up the type of victims that we're covering, also the circumstances behind it and what may have led to it, what things could have been done differently. And in this particular situation, it's it's more about what the police didn't do uh, on multiple levels, from the 911 call center to the police officers that responded eventually to the scenes, a couple of the scenes. And I don't run away from these cases. I know a lot of you already know the way I handle these situations. I understand that not all police are good cops and they're human beings and they make mistakes. Some of them are mistakes and then some of them are deliberate. There's a whole spectrum of that and you see that in all different professions and police officers are no exception. And so I feel like people like myself who are in the space, who have worked in the field, have a responsibility to call these types of things out. Although in this particular case, it's been called out before, but I, but I don't protect bad police work. And I think the only way to build trust within the community is for police to police their own. And I'm just doing my part. Not like I'm making a difference here. It's not like the DPD is going to make changes because of what I've said. Um, but that doesn't matter. Some of you may not be familiar with this case. You need to be aware of it. And uh, who knows, there probably will be some individuals from DPD or individuals in that area that will hear about this case. And I think together, collectively, both civilians and current law enforcement, for, former law enforcement, by us all acknowledging what happened and learning from it and making changes because of it, we can make a better system for everyone. And I'm going to be covering a lot of cases. So if you're someone who's interested in true crime, specifically unsolved cases and you'd like to hear my opinion on those investigations, please consider subscribing, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you use. It would be greatly appreciated. All right, with that all out of the way, let's dive into this week's case. Delisa Michelle Kelly was born in Dallas, Texas on July 24, 1989. She had a loving mother named Lysandra Kelly who always cherished her daughter's contagious laughter. Lysandra once told NBC DFW5, quote, she had a laugh that would grab you from across the street. Delisa had a close-knit family while growing up. Her family included her mother, two sisters, and grandmother. In 2012, she became a mother herself when she had her son. Then in early 2014, Delisa learned that she was going to have another child. On top of that, she was engaged to be married. On March 7, 2014, Delisa, who was eight weeks pregnant at the time, was at her grandmother Margarita's house in the 2700 block of Prosperity Avenue in Dallas. That evening, she left the house to attend her best friend's wake. The exact time she left varies, but it's somewhere between 4.30 and 6 p.m. 
Margarita thought that Delisa was planning on taking the bus to the wake, however she wasn't sure. Delisa never made it to the wake, which was a surprise to her friends and family. They knew that something had to go wrong for her not to show up. Then at around 6.45pm, Delisa's sister Jasmine received a phone call from Delisa. When Jasmine answered, it quickly became obvious that Delisa hadn't meant to make the call. It was as if Delisa had butt-dialed her. Jasmine heard a lot of background noise and heard her sister screaming. Delisa yelled, stop, stop, get off me. An unknown male voice then said, quote, shut up, stop screaming. You want to be hard-headed? The call lasted for a total of 1 minute and 11 seconds before the phone disconnected. Jasmine tried to call Delisa back several times, but she didn't answer. Finally, at 6.51 p.m., Jasmine received a text message from Delisa that read, quote, Call you in a minute. According to court documents, Jasmine answered the text and asked what was going on and if someone was hitting her. Delisa responded at 6.53 p.m. with, quote, He thought I was with someone. Jasmine texted back, but she never got a reply. Jasmine then tried to call Delisa, but her phone went straight to voicemail. Jasmine then called around to multiple family members to ask if they'd heard from Delisa, but no one had. At 8.38 p.m., Delisa's grandmother Margarita called 911 to report what had happened. Now, this call is pretty lengthy, but it plays a major role in the story, so I'm going to play it in its entirety now. Dallas 911, what's the address of your emergency? I'm at 2726 Prosperity Avenue. What's your apartment, ma'am? It's a house. Okay, and you're across from Centerville, uh, Sunnyvale, and Stanley. What's yeah. going on, ma'am? You need police, fire, or ambulance? I need. I, I I don't know. I need the police. I think. Tell me what's going on. My granddaughter left here at six o'clock. This this evening, she was going to a wake. My her sister got a call from her about 40 minutes after that, and she was screaming for her life. Somebody was beating her, and we don't know who has her, so I don't know what to do. We can't get her on her cell phone. She's not responding to any messages. So I don't know what to do. Okay, so she's not responding to no messages at all, nothing like that? And her phone's going straight to voicemail. Okay, so did you want to report her? Please. As a missing person? Yes. Can someone come here? Yes, we can have someone go out there. Um, what? What is your name? My name is Margarita. Margarita? M-A-R-J-U-R-I-T-A. Last name Kelly. Okay, and what what is your my granddaughter's name? Yes, is Delisa. D apostrophe L I S A. Last name Kelly. Okay, how old is she? She's twenty four. Okay, and is she black, white, Hispanic? Black. What was the last thing you saw her wearing? What color shirt? What color bottom? She had on. A leopard print pants, a black shirt, and a denim vest. Okay, and do you know she's diagnosed with any mental or physical disabilities? Does she have disabilities? Is that what you asked? Yes, ma'am. Is she diagnosed with anything? She has no disabilities. Any medication she's taking? Just antibiotics for a blood infection. Okay. And where did she tell you she was going? Uh, her best friend was killed last Thursday at that wreck at Prairie Creek and Saeed. So she was going to her wake over there, Laura Land and 30. Okay. She left here walking. I was assuming she was catching the bus. Left walking. At what time today? 6 p.m. So she's not answering the phone, but she answered one time to her sister? Her sister said it sounded like 
she, she, you know how you can call somebody without knowing you call somebody because she said when she, she saw her sister's name pop on her call ID, she answered the phone, but all she could hear was Lisa screaming, ah, ah. Somebody was hitting her and telling her it was a male voice, telling her to shut up, shut up. And then we haven't heard from her since. She was screaming for her life. That was the kind of scream she heard. Okay, and this is your granddaughter? My granddaughter. Okay. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and put a call for police to go out there, okay? Okay. They'll be out there shortly. Go ahead and provide them with as much information as you can so they can go ahead and look for her. Okay, thank you so much. And if you hear anything from her, please let us know so we can update our officers. I will. Okay? Okay, ma'am. Help will be on the way. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. After the call ended, the operator didn't send officers to Margarita's place. Instead, she contacted her supervisor, Sergeant Kevin Manzel, a law enforcement officer with the Dallas Police Department, who was in charge of 911 dispatch. The operator shared all the details of the recent call that she had with Margarita. Court documents report that Manzel then asked the operator to call Margarita back and get Delisa's phone number. He wanted to try to locate her phone by pinging it first. The operator followed his instructions and called Margarita again. Before ending the call, the operator told Margarita that she would have an update for her within 30 minutes. The operator then gave Manzel the number He called Delisa's cell phone service providers to inform them of the emergency and asked them to ping Delisa's phone to find out where she was. According to Manziel, the company said they couldn't locate the phone. After hearing from the phone company, Manziel told the operator not to send a missing person call sheet to the police service queue because he wanted to add the cell phone information to it first. But Manziel didn't do what he said he would. Instead, he put the call sheet on a Signal 3, which means that the call was treated as an abandoned call or hang-up. When a call is on signal 3, the police, fire, or ambulance are not dispatched, but only if a reputable person confirms there's no need for service. Now, side note here, that person would have most likely been Manzel. I don't see how it would have been a family member. And uh, we'll get more into this into the perspective, but obviously this was a mistake. Uh, someone should have been sent to that address immediately. And I would even go back to the operator and say, before even calling the sergeant, you get someone out there. You get someone, you get boots on the ground, you get someone talking to the family members. Because what you have here is not necessarily a missing person, but a potential abduction or a, a case of domestic violence. At minimum, you have someone in trouble. And based on what we've heard, This is not a person who can wait. They need police action immediately. Furthermore, Menzel did not notify his supervisor or pass along any information regarding the situation to the first watch personnel. No one ever called Margarita back, and no officers were ever sent to her house to obtain a report about Delisa's disappearance. Court documents report that after finishing up their shifts, the operator and Menzel had a conversation as they were both exiting the DPD call center. The operator reportedly said to Manzel that she was bothered by the call and asked for an update. Manzel allegedly ignored the operator, entered his vehicle, and left. While Manzel and the operator went home, Delisa's family was worried sick about what had happened to her. By 1 p.m. the next day, which was now Saturday, March 8th, Delisa's family still had not received any response from the DPD. So Delisa's sister called again and asked for police to come out and conduct an investigation. Around an hour later, officers responded to Delisa's sister's home. She told them what had happened on the call with Delisa the night she went missing, and according to court documents, the responding officers informed Delisa's sister that, quote, because her sister did not say he was hitting her, we cannot put out a missing persons report. Okay, so do I really have to say this here? That that statement in and of itself doesn't really make sense. Uh, We're not talking about a missing persons case here. We're talking about someone who's being assaulted. Uh, And the fact that Delisa didn't say, oh, he's hitting me, but you can hear her saying, stop, stop. And you can tell she's in distress, Um, whether she's being physically struck or just being held against her will. Either way, it's a crime. And so that in and of itself has a sense of urgency to it. And there should be all hands on deck to, to locate her 
And then as far as the second part, because she didn't say he was hitting her, we can't follow a missing persons report. They're two separate crimes, two different situations. You don't have to be assaulted to be a missing person. And in this particular case, even if you don't believe that she's missing and that she could be just held against her will, it doesn't hurt to enter her into NCIC as a missing person so that if she's located anywhere and police run her name, it'll pop and, and, the, and the police will be notified. There's no downfall to entering her at this point. Yes, you could argue she has a right to remain private if she, if she wants, but as soon as you get that butt dial and it, it appears that she's in distress, police have to take action and they have to do something, especially when you're talking to the family members who know her best and, and they know that something's wrong. So instead, the officers gave Delisa's sister a case number and advised her to call 911 again if she didn't hear from Delisa within a week. They said that if she didn't contact them by then, they would start investigating the case. And I, I'm not going to go too off the rails here. We talked about this in the Justin Gaines case, if you haven't seen that. That was the last episode. And as I just kind of mentioned, first and foremost, there's no time frame that you have to wait before you enter someone into a missing person's uh, database, NCIC. That's a myth. It's the discretion of the police department. And you have to evaluate the totality of the circumstances that you're dealing with. In this particular case, you have family members who state that the victim was on her way to awake for her best friend. So more than likely, she's not going to miss that event willingly. That's red flag number one. Then you have this butt dial that occurs that wasn't even supposed to occur. And you hear someone who's in distress, someone who's being held down, potentially being assaulted, potentially being held against their will. And when you call this person back, their phone's off and nobody can find them. And when you think about this, this potential victim, you want to evaluate what they have at home. In this case, it would be a two-year-old son. So and as long as it all lines up, more than likely this mother would at least call home to let someone know where she was um, and that she would be home for her son soon. She didn't do that. So as far as this whole thing, waiting a week, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And I think any good police department, any good police officer out there would agree with me. I don't know what this officer was thinking. The only thing that I can say is potentially you have a situation where you got a lazy cop who doesn't want to take a police report and he's kicking the can down the road. And I wish I could sit here and tell you that this doesn't happen, but unfortunately it does. Officers get lazy. They don't want to go into the station. They don't want to write a report. So they find a way to squash it. It's not right. And we have to make sure that we're doing our jobs and we're always considering the fact that as officers, when we go to these calls, this could be you or your loved one. And if we approach it with that mindset, I think more than not, we're going to go the extra mile and take the report, even if it's just a precautionary matter. So if I haven't made it abundantly clear by now, the report should have been taken immediately. Court documents also reported that at some point on this day, March 8th, the phone company informed Manzel that Delisa's phone had been disconnected on the night of her disappearance. However, the last coordinates of her phone's location were available. The phone company told Manzel that before they could release the coordinates, they needed him to send in some paperwork. He filled it out, but the phone company didn't get back to him with the information. There was no follow-up regarding the cell phone coordinates from either party. Now, this is an issue that I've dealt with numerous times too. You, you file an administrative subpoena. There's a sense of urgency with it. Some, the phone companies are getting thousands of calls, not just from police departments, and so it can get lost in the weeds. It is the responsibility of the police department to make sure that you follow up with that because, listen, they don't know the circumstances. They're just the phone company. You got to keep annoying them until they get the, the information to you that, that you need to continue your investigation. So by this point, understandably, Delisa's family was worried sick. It wasn't like Delisa to leave her son for more than 24 hours they knew she would not have deliberately left him without telling anyone. The family told NBC DFW5 that he was Delisa's quote, number one priority. At around 2.30 p.m. on the following day, March 9th, Delisa's family called the DPD 
and asked if they could do a welfare check at Delisa's home. Court documents report that approximately 30 minutes later, a DPD officer contacted the family and said they were at Delisa's home, but no one answered the door, so they were leaving the area. One of Delisa's family members immediately left to meet the DPD at Delisa's. They pleaded with the officer to do something, but they refused and stated that they could not kick down the door because there was no history of abuse. Delisa's family stressed that this was not like Delisa to leave her child for this period of time and something just wasn't right. The officer said that because of Delisa's age, they could not put in a missing persons report until she had been missing for at least a week. Delisa's family asked the officer for advice and they replied, quote, put out some flyers or something. Maybe she just needed some time away. People leave and do not come back for six to nine months. I'm trying not to break up this story too much here. I'm not going to be redundant. Shouldn't have happened this way again. Do we make entry at this point? Maybe we get a supervisor over there based on circumstances. Yeah, maybe we do make entry, but you're not telling the family to come back to you a week from now. And you're definitely not saying, hey, sometimes people just leave for six to nine months. Crazy. Shouldn't have happened. According to court documents, Delisa's family told the officer again that they had received a phone call that made it obvious Delisa was in imminent danger. The DPD officer reiterated that they had to follow procedure. They gave the family another number to call and left Delisa's home. Now, it should be noted that while speaking with the police officer at Delisa's house, Delisa's dad was at the police station, desperately asking detectives to help find his daughter and enter her as a missing person. It took him a few tries, but eventually he succeeded in convincing someone to take the case seriously. Finally, at 5 p.m., almost 48 hours after Delisa disappeared, an endangered person bulletin and a Region 1 teletype were created and sent to patrol officers. A few hours later, detectives interviewed Delisa's fiance. According to NBC DFW 5, no new information was developed during that conversation. Now, this is going to be a a common trend here. And you're going to see this throughout the show where sometimes I'll include information like this that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere, but I include it so that it may answer some questions you have. Like, hey, you said at the beginning of your story she was engaged. Well, what about the fiance? I put this in here because this is what's out there. There's probably more. Obviously, it's an open case. We don't have access to it, but I include it in here so that at least you know it's a question I had as well. And, and we did the best to find the answer. Before the end of the day, detectives called the medical examiner's office and local hospitals looking for Delisa, but no one had seen her. They also reviewed the call log from Delisa's cell phone. However, they weren't able to garner anything noteworthy. At around noon on the following day, March 10th, a detective went to Delisa's neighborhood and met with Margarita. At the same time, officers canvassed the area, but unfortunately, no new leads were developed. After this took place, the detectives got in touch with the Dallas Area Rapid Transit Police Department, also known as DART. They asked DART police to help them figure out if Delisa got on a bus after she left her grandmother's house on the 7th. The DART police didn't find any proof that she had taken the bus that evening. Police eventually issued a press release via social media asking for the public's help. On March 11th, police held a press conference where they asked the public for information regarding Delisa. One detective said, quote, Miss Kelly has a two-year-old child, and it is uncharacteristic for her to leave him for an extended period of time. According to NBC DFW 5, Delisa's family and friends were interviewed that same day, but as far as we know, no new information was developed. On March 12th, several tips from citizens were received stating that Delisa had been seen in the area of Market Center Drive and Oaklawn Avenue in Dallas. NBC DFW5 reported that detectives and patrol units thoroughly canvassed businesses, hotels, and restaurants in the area for potential leads to Delisa's whereabouts. While canvassing, detectives found another witness who had waited on Delisa at a restaurant at some point during the weekend of March 8th. The witness said that Delisa was crying and mentioned that she was going to Arkansas. She was described as wearing leopard print leggings, the same outfit she was wearing the day she was last seen. Detectives also located a witness who said that they saw Delisa in their business on the morning of March 11th. After detectives were done canvassing the area, an anonymous tipster called and said that they saw Delisa between 5.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. on the 7th, the day she went missing. They claimed she was at the Stop and Save store located at the corner of Sunnyvale Road and Overton Road in Dallas. 
On the following day, March 13th, police revealed another tip that Delisa had been seen at the stop and save on the day she disappeared. At around 10 a.m. on March 14th, exactly one week after Delisa went missing, her battered body was found in an abandoned house in the 1200 block of Presido Avenue. This location was less than two miles from Delisa's grandmother's house. An autopsy revealed that Delisa was strangled and beaten to death. Court documents report, quote, Delisa's body from the neck up was extremely dark, presumably from strangulation or asphyxiation. Delisa also reportedly had cuts all over her body, indicating that she had been tortured. Additionally, one of her hands was literally crushed, and the left side of her face was extremely swollen, indications that she had fought with her assailant in a futile attempt to save her life. The autopsy further revealed that Delisa's approximate time of death was several days after she went missing. It was estimated that she had only been dead for three days, meaning there were four days after her disappearance where Delisa was still alive. Now, according to additional court documents, the medical examiner's office did not give the Kelly family a copy of the autopsy report. However, somehow the media got a hold of the information and revealed Delisa's cause of death. This is how her family found out about what had happened to her. Now, imagine that for a second, okay? You have this distrust already based on how the police has handled this so far. And yet once she's found, uh, this is how you learn about it. Now, I understand the law enforcement side of it here. It's an active investigation. Appears to be a murder. They normally won't release the cause of death to the even the family because you want to keep some things to yourself for guilt knowledge. You want to have information that would only be known to her killer. And if everything's put out there in the public, you lose that. You lose that ability to establish credibility with a potential offender. And unfortunately, even though you don't think it's the grandmother or the sister, um, could it be the fiance? Could it be another family member? Well, if you tell just even one of them and they share that information amongst each other, well, now they all know about it and you can no longer use it. So that's why they do it. But still, it's terrible to think that they learned about this from a newspaper or a television show. It's crazy to think that, but here we are. After finding out that Delisa had been alive for around four days after she disappeared, Delisa's family and friends and numerous members of the public had a lot of questions about how the DPD handled the investigation. Overall, Delisa's loved ones didn't think that the police acted fast enough. They believed that if the police had investigated her disappearance right away, she would have been found alive. Delisa's sister Jasmine told NBC DFW5, quote, what if it was one of your family members, and what if you all got that call? I'm pretty sure you all would have been on it. Sadly, Delisa's case wasn't the only time when DPD mishandled a 911 call. In 2012, a 911 operator didn't follow up on a call which a woman named Dina Cook was actively being choked to death by her ex-husband. Her body was found two days later by her family. Following Dina's murder, police promised to improve 911 policies and procedures but it doesn't appear that they did enough based on what occurred in Delisa's case. On March 17th, a vigil was held for Delisa. The main purpose of the gathering was to motivate police to find Delisa's killer. Her sister LaShawn said, quote, we're just trying to make it aware that we need to find justice. One of the vigil attendees was Delisa's two-year-old son. Delisa's aunt held the little boy while speaking to NBC DFW5. She said, quote, the good thing about it is he don't know what's going on right now. The bad thing about it is when he grows up, the hard part comes in. When he gets older and he gets to asking, where's mom? And we have to explain where's mom. Around two weeks after the vigil, it was announced that an internal investigation of the Dallas Police Department's handling of Delisa's case was going to be conducted. The Kelly family welcomed the investigation as they still believe that police grossly mishandled Delisa's case. Over the next few months, there was a stall in the media coverage of Delisa's murder. The focus of the reporting was mainly on how the police had made mistakes while investigating the case. This is possibly because the police kept their investigation under wraps and they didn't share much information about the evidence they gathered. As a result, the media couldn't report much about the real progress of the investigation and what they had found so far. 
In June, Delisa's family gathered outside police headquarters. They were frustrated that the investigation was progressing slowly and that police had kept them in the dark. LaShawn told the Dallas Morning News, quote, We deserve answers. Police stated that they were still investigating and they were keeping information close to the vest so that the investigation wouldn't be compromised. In August, DPD released a new video series called In-Depth, which focused on unsolved homicide cases. In an episode about Delisa, it was revealed that police had been able to determine that she did not go near the bus station to take the bus to the wake. Instead, she went to the Stop and Save store at the corner of Sunnyvale Road and Overton Road in Dallas. She went there to find a ride to the wake. Police obtained security footage from the store, which showed that at 6.13 p.m., Delisa was inside with an unknown black male. Then she was seen getting into a light blue 1986 Mercury Grand Marquis driven by the same unknown male. 33 minutes later, Delisa called her sister screaming. Before the month of August was over, a disciplinary hearing was held for Kevin Manziel, the 911 call center sergeant who handled Delisa's case. At the hearing, they thoroughly described what had happened on the night Delisa disappeared. First, they played the recording of the 911 call Margarita made. Then, they discussed how instead of sending the police right away, the operator called Manziel to ask what to do. They played the conversation between the operator and Manziel, which made the family very upset when they heard it. Once you listen to it, I think you'll understand why. Manziel, okay? Yes. Yeah. Manziel is me. I had a question. Uh, I... This lady, she didn't, She really doesn't have a lot of information, but, I mean, she's very, very concerned for her daughter, her granddaughter. Her granddaughter called her sister, and um, they haven't seen her. They haven't heard anything from her. She wants to report her as missing, but she called her sister, and she was screaming and yelling. Telling the her granddaughter her. called the other granddaughter? Yeah, she called her sister. Okay, not the grandmother's sister, which would be the girl's aunt. Yeah. Okay. And um, she told her that she wants, no, she didn't tell her anything. She was just, she's on open line disturbing. A little female yelling, screaming, stop, stop, stop hitting me. And Where does she live? With her grandma. Okay, the grandmother called us? Who's calling us? The grandma. The Grandma's person calling she lives us. with. It said the grandchild left. Hang on, hang on one second. Hang on, hang on. Okay. Okay, so the the granddaughter, they have an open line they used to they were having an open line disturbance of they heard the granddaughter um, being hit by an unknown male. All right. And does she know where the granddaughter lives or is? The granddaughter lives with her. But she never came back. Oh she was gonna go to her friend. Somewhere else. Okay. So we don't know where. Exactly. Could be McKinney. Yeah. Could be. So I'm I'm putting her as a missing well, but, I mean, is there anything else we can do? Yeah. I mean, What's the granddaughter's phone number? I didn't get it, but... We need that, and we can ping the phone, find out where she's at. Okay. Let me call her back. I'll still send police for her so we can, you know, do a missing or something. Mm, or no? Not yet. I mean... Until we ping it? She's not missing because she, she lives with her, but she just... Well, she was supposed to come back, though. We, told her she was going uh, how old is this girl? She's 24. Oh, no. Her granddaughter, but she never goes out missing. And then there's one more thing. Hmm. She's pregnant. Well, sounds like she's missing before. That's how she got in that situation. But she's 24. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, give me a phone number, and let's see if we can ping it. And it, does she think it was they were fighting? No, she knows they were hitting on us. Okay. She's willing to stop. Okay. So get that information, then we'll, yeah. I'll tell her to hold on yeah. on the mission? Yes. Okay. And let me find out if I can find her. Okay, let me get that for you. Okay. Okay, thank you. During the disciplinary hearing, Menzel was asked to explain why he didn't send police to Margarita's. He stated, quote, It was a mistake on my part that night, and I apologize to everybody. Menzel also said, quote, That particular night, my intent was to find the person that was in trouble and to send the resources to that person that was in trouble. I'm 45 years old now, and things do tend to kind of slip out of memory, especially on a busy Friday night. So listen, I appreciate him taking accountability for the decisions that he made. And 
that's all well and good, but someone died here. And so you can't use the excuse that because you're 45 years old and it was busy, you just forgot about this woman who was in severe distress and was being at minimum assaulted and could could be dead. And to think that you would get up in front of a group, group of people, a room full of people, including the family members of the victim, and say, you know, I am 45 years old. You know, what do you want me to do? It was busy. Well, I'm, I'm 39. And I don't know if there's a big drop off by 45, but I would like to think that if I had something like this occur where you have a woman potentially being beaten, that I'm going to put all hands on deck and it's going to be a number one priority to not only get those pings going, but make sure that the phone company has everything they need. And if they don't get back to me within 30 minutes, I'm going to be calling him and emailing him again. He didn't do that. And uh, that's on him. So I appreciate again that he's taken some accountability for it, but it doesn't change what happened. When Menzel was asked what should have happened that night, he said, quote, definitely send the police to the grandmother's house because it seemed like it was the PR thing to do. Would the results have been different? Probably not. I do not like this comment. He might be right, but I don't like it. It's the wrong thing to say in that particular situation. And understandably, this upset Delisa's family even further, who pointed to the fact that Delisa's autopsy showed that she had been alive for several days after she went missing. Dominique Alexander, a spokesperson for Delisa's family, later told WFAA, quote, I believe that there would have been a different outcome if he would have responded just a little bit sooner. She was tortured for a couple of days. In the end, Menzel received a one-day suspension. WFAA reported that Delisa's family was extremely disappointed with this course of action. They felt that it wasn't a big enough punishment because in their eyes, Menzel's actions directly resulted in Delisa's death. And I have to tell you, we don't know how it would have worked out, but I can't completely disagree with him. He definitely didn't help the situation. The Kelly family publicly called for Manziel's termination from the Dallas Police Department. Dominique Alexander told KDAF, quote, We feel that it is sort of disrespectful for the Dallas Police Department to put a person on a one-day suspension resulting that someone actually lost their life. We're asking that the chief of police please remove him from the department immediately. Despite the family's pleas, Menzel was not fired from the DPD. In 2016, Delisa's family sued the city of Dallas and the Dallas Police Department. The lawsuit argued that the police failed to respond to the 911 call appropriately, which most likely led to Delisa's death. The lawsuit stated, quote, From the tone of Delisa's voice and statements, it was clear that her life was in jeopardy. And it was, or it should have been, obvious that there was an imminent danger in process. Citing past issues, the suit further said, quote, This is indicative of the disregard with which the police viewed domestic violence cases against women and or racial minorities. Unfortunately for the family, their lawsuit was ultimately dismissed. In March of 2017, police spoke to NBC DFW5 about where the case was at. They said they had exhausted leads and interviewed persons of interest, including the driver of the Grand Marquis. However, they didn't have enough evidence to move forward with an arrest. Delisa's mother, Lissandra, told NBC that the family was still hopeful that they would get closure. She said, quote, we're going to get justice. We're going to find you. You can't hide forever and we will get justice. My grandson will get justice. Following this update from the police, reporting on Delisa's case really slowed down. Over the years, Delisa's family and friends worked hard to make sure that no one else ever goes through what Delisa did. They advocated for the Kelly Alert law that would require a quicker response in missing person cases like Delisa's. In 2019, Texas Governor Greg Abbott agreed to create an alert system for missing adults aged 18 to 64 who are in imminent danger. The alert was officially named the Clear Alert, which was named after several victims of violence, not just Delisa. The letters in Clear stand for Kaylee Mandotti, Delisa Kelly, Aaron Castro, Ashanti Billy, and the rest. Unfortunately, this is the last update we have in Delisa's case. There have been no major updates since the surveillance photos from the gas station were released. If police have a person of interest or a suspect, they have not named them publicly. All right, so that brings me to my perspective on Delisa's case. And I had a lot of 
sidebars in this episode. So there probably won't be as much in this perspective because honestly, I feel like for the most part, everyone listening or watching out there knows what happened here. Um, this went off the rails from the very beginning. And it's funny because I was actually talking to Shannon, my editor, about this. And there definitely appears to be, I want to say, I don't want to accuse anybody of anything, but I feel like there was some stereotypes placed on Delisa that might have been racially skewed. They see this black woman go missing. No big deal. She'll be back. And I don't think I need to say it, but obviously that's wrong. It shouldn't have happened. Black, white, purple, doesn't matter. This is a woman who was clearly in danger and the police didn't act accordingly. As far as the case itself, just looking at the facts, there's a few things we can go over here. Obviously, the first 911 call with Margarita is just terrible to listen to. You can hear the panic in her voice. And, I, and even though she wasn't the one who received the phone call, to think that someone you care about is in danger, helpless, and you can't get to them has to be the worst feeling in the world, and I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And as far as that call is concerned from a technical standpoint, the one thing I really didn't like about that call was the operator asking Margarita, well, what do you want? Do you want to, do you want to follow a missing persons report? First off, this is more than a missing person. This isn't someone who just left and didn't show up at the wake and, oh, it's only been a couple hours. Where are they? You know, they should be home. That you could say, you know, let's wait a little bit longer. Let's take a beat. Maybe she decided not to go to the wake. Maybe something else came up. Let's give her a few hours. But that's not what we have here. What we have here is a person who was supposed to go to her best friend's wake. And instead, while that wake was taking place, her phone accidentally calls her sister and it's clear that she's being assaulted and or uh, and being potentially held against her will and there's another male with her who wasn't with her when she left the house this is a major problem and i can tell you that if i had gotten this exact same call in my jurisdiction partially what they did we would get the cell phone information for delisa we would call the phone company have them start pinging that phone even if the phone's off, just find out the last known coordinates of the phone because here's the reality. The phone was bouncing off a cell tower in order to call her sister. So you should at least have those coordinates. And I would be willing to bet that more than likely she was at that abandoned house where she was eventually found at that point. So if we knew that location and she was alive for days after, we could have gotten to her. We could have saved her life. Not only could we have saved her life, but we might have caught the offender in the act and, and held him accountable for what he did as well so that he couldn't do it again. So a major misstep there. Police should have responded immediately. It should have been all hands on deck. And I would even say I wouldn't enter her necessarily as a missing person, but as an endangered person so that if anybody else was in the area, her name would pop on the, on the database and they would know that there's something going on there if she was, if she was found and also you'd have other police officers from different communities on the, on the lookout for her. As far as the call between the operator and Manzel, I'm not saying Manzel's in the right here at all. But I will say this because I try to stay objective. He did seem engaged with the call. He did seem like he was interested in actually solving it and figuring out what was going on. Yes, he was apprehensive to, to file the missing persons report, which is understandable. But he should have said, hey... Here's what I want you to do. Send a guy over there right now or a girl. Send someone over there right now. Start getting the information on paper. Let's hear it in person. Let's hear what we got. Let's have an actual officer out there to kind of digest everything that's transpired today. While the, the officer's out there taking a report, I'm going to call the phone company. Get the phone number for me. I want to start pinging the phone. Let's find this woman. Is she missing? Is she not missing? Is she in trouble? Is she okay? Either way, based on that, that butt dial, we have, we're involved now. We have to find out. We have to find out yesterday. So that's what I'd be doing. I would have mul multiple things going on at once. You can do that where you have officers out doing their thing and you're doing yours as a supervisor. That's what should have happened. But, it, but I will say it did sound like he was, you know, somewhat into what was going on and concerned to a certain degree. And 
said he was going to make the calls and he clearly did make those calls to the phone company, but he got busy and clearly it wasn't a priority to him as it should have been. And because he hadn't sent officers out there in the first place, it got thrown by the wayside. And then eventually when he did finally enter the report, he didn't enter it appropriately and there was no sense of urgency put on it. So days went by where Delisa is alive, trapped in a house and nobody's looking for her. at least nobody from the law enforcement side of things. That's a problem. I do want to briefly talk about the two text messages that Jasmine received from Delisa's phone because I think they're important. Uh, 6.51 p.m., 6.53 p.m. The first one says, I'll call you back in a minute. The second one says, he thought I was with someone. You got two things that could be going on here. There could have been an initial assault that was when the butt dial occurred and then it subsided for a few minutes because, you know, they realized that the phone went off or whatever. And maybe that was Delisa texting her sister. And maybe this was the motive behind the assault. You know, he thought she was with another man. And then for whatever reason, it escalated. It picked up again after that. But if that were the case, then you would assume it would have been the fiance who would have been upset about this, right? Like she was engaged. So clearly Delisa wouldn't text her sister saying, oh, my, the guy I'm cheating on my fiance with thought I was with another man. So that doesn't really make sense to me. What makes more sense is that these two text messages came from Delisa's killer. And I say that because it may not have been obvious to him that she was married. And maybe he thought he could just give a generic answer because, oh, maybe she's dating someone, could be anyone. They wouldn't know the difference. I'm just going to first try to passively push him off by saying I'll text you in a minute and then with no intention to do so. And then when Jasmine pushes a little harder, he tries to give a, a reasonable response as to why they would have been upset with each other. And, and clearly after that, the phone goes off. So I, I think he was just trying to stall the family from maybe looking for her or continuing to call. And that was his attempt to do so. If you, if you, if you made me choose, I, I think that that angle is more likely which does pose another question that I don't have access to the information for. What kind of phone did Delisa have? Uh, we're talking 2014. So the iPhone, I believe, was out at that point, right? Pretty sure the iPhone was out at that point. I'm an Apple guy. I should know this. But, you know, did Delisa keep her phone locked? Was she someone who had a passcode on it? Was she someone who kept it unlocked? If, she, if she's someone who kept it locked... Was this phone unlocked by her and then he kept it open or somehow did he know the passcode? And if he knew the passcode, well, then who is this person? Because clearly there's someone who's relatively close to her. Something to consider. The last piece of evidence I want to talk about is what I consider the most critical. And I think the key to this case, it's the surveillance footage from the store at around 6.13 p.m. where we see Delisa inside the store with an unknown male. And we know that her intentions that night were to go to this wake and she was looking for a ride. So I don't know how well she knew this person, but clearly this individual was going to give her a ride to the wake. So they're in the store and then they leave together. And 33 minutes after they're seen together on camera is when this butt dial is made to Jasmine. I don't think it's unreasonable for me to assume and for you to assume that more than likely, the man heard on this butt dial is the man in that footage. Because I do believe that Delisa's intentions was to go to that wake. And more than likely, she thought this male individual was going to take her there. So I don't see a world where this male individual would have taken her to the wake and then this assault would have happened at the wake. That doesn't make sense. There was a detour from the footage at the store to the wake and wherever that detour was, I believe that's where this assault took place. Now, as far as this individual is concerned, as I mentioned in the episode, uh, the vehicle has been identified and he has been identified. And he's been spoken to by police. But I always tell you guys, even on Crime Weekly, it's not always what the police are saying. It's what they're not saying. They're not saying they're clearing him of any wrongdoing. They're only saying they don't have enough to charge him. 
And, and I think that that's very telling. I do believe that they believe more than likely this guy was involved. I don't know whether it's forensics or cell phone data. I don't know how, without having the case file in front of me, they wouldn't be able to find inculpatory or exculpatory evidence to basically say, yeah, this guy did it, or no, this guy did not do it. Get his cell phone data. Get his uh, get traffic cameras. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do to try to track his whereabouts, and if he was anywhere near that abandoned building where Delisa was found, I think it might be worth taking a shot at him. I don't know. Forensically, I would think they would probably find something in that, that property as well where she was located that may tie back to him or, or at least someone else. But let's, for, for the sake of this conversation, say it's not him. He dropped her off or, or handed her off to someone else who was going to take her to this wake. So if it, if it doesn't stop at him, he should be able to lead detectives to the next guy. And it would have to be a pretty quick turnaround because, like I said, 33 minutes from the time they're seen on footage to the time that this, this butt dial and this, this assault is taking place. Very small window. I do want to make this clear, though. I do want to qualify and say, at this point, this individual has, has not been charged with a crime, and therefore, he is innocent. And that is important to keep in mind as you start to develop your own opinions on this case. My final thoughts is, overall, this is a miscarriage of justice. The system failed to Lisa and her family. There are multiple officers that were involved with this case, not just Manziel, who dropped the ball. All across the board, it was a failure, complete failure. And although I can't definitively say that if they had done what they were supposed to do, Delisa would be alive, based on what we do know, especially the fact that she was alive for multiple days after she disappeared, if they would have done their job, maybe they would have gotten to Delisa in time and we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this case. I do want to send my condolences out to Delisa's family. Tragic situation here. The good news is there, there is evidence to go off of. We're not just like shooting into the sky. We do have a person of interest who was seen with her on camera. There still may be more that can be done there. Again, without having the files, I don't know. But I would, I would implore them not to lose hope. DPD, you still have an opportunity to not correct what you did, but mend it as best as you can. Turn a wrong into a right by giving this family the closure they deserve, especially for Delisa's son. And as a reminder for everyone out there, Delisa Kelly was last seen at around 6.15 p.m. on March 7, 2014 at the Stop and Save store located at the corner of Sunnyvale Road and Overton Road in Dallas. 30 minutes later, she called her sister screaming, and on March 14th, Delisa's body was found in an abandoned house. Anyone with information on Delisa Kelly's case is asked to call the North Texas Crime Stoppers at 877-373-8477. Listen, there's somebody out there who knows something, and we already know some of the players in this game. So if you're from that area and the streets are talking and people are talking about this, you can come forward anonymously. You can make a difference in this case. You can help right this wrong for Delisa's family. I want to thank you guys for being with me here till the end. If you made it, as always, way down in the comments below. Let me know what you think of this case. I really want to hear your thoughts on this one. I know there's going to be a lot of opinions, as there should be. Um, we will be back next week. Stay safe out there. I'll see you soon. <laughs>